turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. And considering the shepherd's voice, John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, the shepherd's voice. Give attention to God's holy word. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your holy worship. We give you thanks for this time to commune with you by the word and spirit of your Son. We pray now that during this time of preaching, you would cause us to hear the shepherd's voice by your spirit poured out upon us. We ask this all for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, it's the season of lawn care, and perhaps at a business or a home that you frequent, you may see a sign. And in the lawn, the sign might say something like, keep off the grass. Now is the time when fertilizer is being applied, all the sprays and all the haze and all the things that go into making a green lawn. Now, if you were to go by this house or this business and see that sign that says, keep off the grass, and you saw a man walking up to this place, staying on the sidewalk, perhaps you don't know him, but you see him walking along the sidewalk and entering through the door of this building, you might say, he belongs here. Either he owns this house or he's a patron of this business. He knows the business owners. He has a right to be there. But if you saw somebody sprinting across the lawn, perhaps kicking the sign that says, stay off the grass, you would immediately think, what is this guy up to? He's acting like somebody who does not belong here. This, this does not seem right because the owner of the property has said, stay off the grass. And somebody who goes to run across the lawn, running across the grass, obviously either doesn't know the owner or has no right to be there. Likewise, in the life of the soul, there are certain voices that have no place in the human soul. There are certain messages that have no right to lodge in the soul of man. And yet, there are many voices out there. There are many messages promising life and blessing to mankind. Many of these voices uh, go all the way from an extreme, like uh, the worship of Islam or the worship of pagan gods, all the way to what the apostles will call the spirit of Antichrist. Now, 
when it, we talk about the worship of pagan gods, it's very obvious that is wrong. But there are many different messages that present themselves like Christianity, that present themselves as the message of Christ that are sometimes difficult to discern, that are sometimes difficult to tell. Is this true or is it not true? Many people are deceived, for instance, by Mormon missionaries because outwardly, Mormons look like decent folks. They're clean, they're neat, they're polite, they respect the Bible, they even respect the King James Bible. And when you talk to them, if you don't know how to discern, they can very easily deceive you and capture you and lay hold of you. So how do we discern the true voice of the shepherd? Well, Christ is going to describe that for us in this passage as he's talking with the Pharisees, and he's talking with those who don't believe in him, he begins to explain to them, the reason you don't believe in me is because you are not one of my sheep. And the defining characteristic of Christ's sheep is that they recognize Christ's voice. But there's a prior step. Before we recognize Christ's voice, Christ, as the owner of the shepherd, uh, as the owner of the sheepfold, as the owner of the property, comes in in the right way. He enters through the gate. He doesn't run across the lawn because he belongs there. In fact, Christ's voice is the only voice that has a right to enter your soul. And he shows us that in this passage. Specifically, Christ teaches us that the voice of the shepherd enters through the conscience, and those who belong to Christ follow his voice. The voice of the shepherd enters through the conscience, and those who belong to him follow his voice. We're going to see two things in this passage, the voice of the shepherd and the sheep following. Verses uh, 1 through 3 is the voice of the shepherd entering, and verses 4 through 6 is the voice of the sheep, or the sheep following the voice of the shepherd. Verses 1 through 3 is the voice of the shepherd entering, verses 4 through 6 is the sheep following the shepherd. Now we begin with verse 1, but uh, we begin actually with some of the broader context. Remember what has just happened in the Gospel of John. Christ has healed the eyes of the blind man, and the blind man humbly receives the testimony of Christ, but the Pharisees arrogantly reject the testimony of Christ. Do you remember what they say in verse 40? Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Christ said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Now notice, even though we have a chapter break right here, Christ is continuing his explanation. He continues to explain to the Pharisees why they cannot know the truth or, or why they haven't at this point received the truth. And so he begins in this illustration 
Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Now, as we enter into this description that Christ gives us, we have to understand what Christ is speaking about. He speaks about entering in through the door, he speaks about the shepherd's voice, and he speaks about thieves and robbers. My contention of this, uh, interpreting this passage, is that when Christ speaks about the door, what he is speaking about entering into is the soul of men. When he, he wants to enter in, he's going to enter into the soul of men and then bring out his sheep. Those that actually belong to Christ will follow him. And so when Christ is entering into a man's soul, when his voice comes to us, the voice of Christ appeals not to our intellect, not to our affections, not even to our will, but it appeals to the conscience. Now, what is the conscience? The conscience is God's prosecuting attorney. The conscience is that part of your soul which judges between right and wrong. This is described in several passages in Scripture. Turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, Paul is speaking about the Gentiles who have the law of God written on their hearts. Romans chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law unto themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, pay attention, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So the conscience, even in the hearts of the unregenerate, these Gentiles are those who are outside of the covenant, and Paul uses them to describe mankind in general. Even the unregenerate have a conscience, and that conscience either accuses you or excuses your actions. It's a judge between right and wrong. Now, when Christ comes to the soul of man, he comes appealing to the conscience because Christ, as he's described throughout the Scriptures, is the righteous one. Christ is the godly one. He is the only one who has ever perfectly kept the law of God. John will say at the beginning of his letter in chapter 2 that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the propitiation for our sins. So when Christ comes to us, he doesn't come to us as our friend necessarily. He doesn't come to us as a sympathetic priest necessarily or exclusively. But the unique characteristic by which Christ comes to us is in his righteousness. This is what the Holy Spirit does when he works in the heart of someone. Turn to John 16. John 16. We read this this morning, but it's very helpful in this passage.
John 16, verse 7, Christ is speaking about his departure. And he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Notice that the work of the Holy Spirit is aimed directly at the conscience. To convict of sin and righteousness and judgment is to appeal to the conscience. Paul, uh, uh, these three words are used in the description of Paul when he was before King Agrippa. And it said Paul was reasoning with King Agrippa of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And King Agrippa is almost persuaded to become a Christian. So, John chapter 10, when Christ comes to a man's soul, he comes to appeal to the conscience. The conscience is the sidewalk leading up to the front door of the soul. Now notice what he says about false voices, false doctrines. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, he who goes running across the lawn, ignoring the sign to keep off the grass, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Listen to what Peter says about false teachers. Turn to Second Peter. Second Peter. Chapter 2, verse 18. Peter is describing how false teachers, false messages come and appeal to people. Notice. For when they, the false teachers, speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. But notice first off what Peter says about how they entice people. They appeal to the lust of the flesh and to lewdness. They climb over the wall and not through the gate. They appeal to the soul of man in the improper way. Well, Christ says, anyone who comes this way to your soul is a thief and a robber. Anyone who appeals to you, any message that appeals to you is coming in, they're they're running across the lawn and they are trying to take you captive and to rob you. Christ describes this to them to set in contrast the voice of Christ. When the true voice of the Son of God comes to you, how does it come? Look at what he says in verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, if I'm correct, then this door is a reference to the conscience. And the one who enters through the conscience is the true shepherd of the sheep. When, When Christ preaches the gospel to you by the Spirit sent from heaven... What is the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is not 
that you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise. The message of the gospel is not that you will have a pain and problem-free life. The message of the gospel is not that you will have whatever you uh, desire in your hearts, but the message of the gospel is repent or perish. The message of the gospel is that in yourselves you are unrighteous. The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, has been sacrificed. Trust in him and you will be made righteous. It's an appeal to the conscience. At every stage, the gospel appeals to our own sense of right and wrong. It uh, stirs up our sense of guilt so that we might look to the guiltless one and be cleansed. Look at what Hebrews chapter 9 says about the blood of Christ and the power of the blood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, he's contrasting the blood of bulls and goats with the blood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, of how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so Christ tells these Pharisees, anybody else who appeals to your pride, who is stroking your ego, who appeals to the lust of the flesh, he's a thief and a robber. But when the true shepherd comes to you, he comes through the proper door. He comes by appealing to the conscience. You know, Charles Spurgeon, one of the great uh, preachers in the Baptist tradition, was once preaching a message. And the, the, the message was about how can you tell true doctrine from false doctrine? And, and one of the criteria that he offered was that the true doctrines of Christ, the true gospel of Christ, humbles man and exalts God. If, that, if it has the effect of that in your hearts, then it's coming from Christ. But if it has the effect of bringing Christ down and exalting man, it's probably false. Not probably, it is false. Because even as Christ says, when the gospel comes to us, it appeals to the conscience. Now there's two things to learn from this. One, this is a barometer to tell if what somebody is teaching you is true or not. The sum and substance of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to deliver you from sin, its guilt and its power. Everything else is up to God's all-wise providence. You may one day be married. You may never be married. You may have numerous children. You may have no children. You may be wealthy, wise, and healthy. You may be poor, foolish, and sickly. But if you have Christ, the promise remains true. You are no longer guilty in the sight of God. Everything else is up to his providence. Now, there are many false gospels. There are many, many ways that the gospel is perverted and brought into the church by appealing 
to something other than the conscience. Perhaps you're already thinking of some of them. The prosperity gospel, quote-unquote gospel, promises health, wealth, and wisdom, promises prosperity and peace. But in our circles and in our day, that that gospel, quote-unquote, has been discredited. The, the, The dangerous one today is the gospel of social justice. Now, understand where social justice and this gospel airs. The the basic message of social justice is that the the poor, the oppressed, the minority has suffered at the hands of the, the rich, the oppressor, and the majority. And that the work of Christ is to bring justice into the world, and justice begins by overturning this dynamic, by delivering the oppressed from oppression, by delivering the poor from their poverty, by delivering the minority from their uh, state of vulnerability. Social justice teaches that the problems of your life are somebody else's fault. That the state of your life was, pardon me, not caused by your sin, but it was caused by the sin of somebody else. Notice how it appeals to the ego. Notice how it totally short-circuits the conscience. When, when Christ comes and preaches, he always makes his appeal to the individual conscience. A couple of examples. Remember when the rich young ruler comes to Christ. This rich young ruler was a wealthy Jew. Uh, he's called a ruler, which means he was probably an elder in the synagogue. He's a ruler of the synagogue. He is an upstanding young man. He comes to Christ and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Christ tells him, keep the commandments. The young man says, well, I've done that through my whole life. And then Christ reaches right into his conscience and says, there's one thing you lack. Sell all of your possessions and follow me. You see, Christ was getting at this young man's conscience. He could not give up his wealth to follow Christ. Well, that's an example of Christ preaching to the upper class, so to speak. Christ, in the Gospel of John, also preached to the lower class, as it were. John chapter 4, he talks to the woman of Samaria. And when Christ is speaking to this woman at the well, how does he approach her? Well, he says, can I have a drink of water? She says, who are you? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? Christ says, "Uh, if you knew who was talking to you, I would give you the waters of eternal life. And she says, who is this one? He says, I am this uh, Messiah that's come to give you the waters of eternal life. Then she says, give me this water always. Then what does Christ do? Bring your husband. Oh, I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had seven men, uh, six men, and none of them are your husband. Do you notice how Christ, whoever he's dealing with, always appeals to their conscience? Now, it can be gentle, It can be patient, it can be kind, but it always results in getting them to acknowledge their sin. And so the shepherd enters through the door of the sheep. Now, at this point, this is true of every single person. Every single human being, if they're exposed to the preaching of the gospel cannot keep Christ out of their conscience. 
Christ, when the gospel comes with the power of the Holy Spirit, enters into every single human soul, and such, every single human soul that hears the gospel is convicted. They are cut to the heart. In Acts chapter 2, Peter was preaching the first sermon of the Christian church, and at the end of that sermon, it says the people who heard him were cut to the heart. Their conscience was pricked, and they said, what must we do to be saved? And then Peter walks them through baptism and joining the church and repenting of their sins. But later on, Peter is preaching in front of the Sanhedrin after the healing. And Peter says that it is by the name of Christ that this man has been healed, whom you crucified, same language, they were cut to the heart, and they picked up stones to kill him. Every single person in the world is convicted by the gospel of Christ because it appeals to the conscience as the conscience. Here's a very practical application from this note. Before we get into verse 3, when you're listening to preaching, when you're reading the Word of God, it is not enough to feel bad for your sins. It is not enough to feel guilty for your sins. That is not saving faith. That is not conversion. Judas grieved and hung himself. Peter grieved and repented. They both grieved. They were both convicted. Christ comes through the door to everyone. Well, what sets the sheep apart from those who are not the sheep? Look at verse 3. To him, the doorkeeper opens. To Christ, the, the keeper of the door opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Notice there's a distinction among the sheep. There's this sheepfold full of all these different sheep. All of the sheep hear his voice, and Christ calls out his own sheep by name. There's this mass of sheep, and within that mass of sheep, there are Christ's own sheep that he calls out by name. This is a description of what the Westminster Confession calls the effectual call of salvation. When Christ's gospel goes out, it goes out to humanity. It goes out to a congregation, much like this, as a flock of sheep. And the voice of Christ comes, and those who belong to Christ, he calls out by name individually. Listen to what the Westminster Confession says about this effectual call. This is in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Chapter 13, if you want to look at it, it's in the back of the blue hymnal. No need to turn there, just listen. Uh, Sorry, chapter 10 of the Westminster Confession. Paragraph 1, it says, All those whom God hath predestinated unto life, and those only, Christ's own sheep. He is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by His Word and Spirit, out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, the sheepfold, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. Notice how this is done. Enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly 
to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, and renewing their wills, and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good, and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. Notice, the effectual call is more than conviction. It is conviction joined with ability. Look at what Christ says now. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. By Christ's almighty power, he lays his hand upon his own sheep and by his power draws them out of sin, condemnation, and death. Now, there's great encouragement here, brothers and sisters. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus, that means at some point, through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, through that preaching, called you out by name. Just as Jesus in the resurrection of Lazarus says, Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Likewise, in your life, the Spirit of God came and said, so-and-so, so-and-so, come forth. You remember when Moses was on the mountain? The Lord says, Moses, Moses. You remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus? The Lord said, Saul, Saul. Perhaps you remember where you were. It's not necessary to remember the time, but at some point in your life and throughout your life, when the gospel was preached, The Holy Spirit made it personal. The Holy Spirit applied it to your heart. It wasn't just a general idea that applies to the guy sitting at the end of the pew. It was a particular conviction that applies to me right now. Christ calls his own by name. Well, what happens when this effectual call goes out, Christ's sheep are given the ability to follow. Now in verse 4, we find the sheep following Christ. Verse 4, and when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Notice, along with Westminster's definition, not only are these sheep convicted, not only is their name particularly called out, but they're given the ability to follow the shepherd. They actually go where the shepherd leads. They don't stay in the place of conviction, but by faith and the power of the gospel, they follow Christ into life and salvation. Notice also, they follow Christ. They don't follow a preacher. They don't follow a system of doctrine. They don't follow a... uh, tradition of Christianity, they follow the shepherd himself. Remember when the apostles were first sent to preach. The message of the apostles is the same message today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the living shepherd. Believe on him and you will be saved. Don't believe this... uh, system of doctrine, not join this particular church, but believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as he describes, they follow the, sh- the, the, the sheep follow him 
for they know His voice. Not only do the sheep follow Christ because they know His voice, verse 5, they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Here also is another very practical way to test doctrine that comes to us. What is the voice of the stranger here? What's well, the same voice that Peter describes in his letter? It's the same voice I described earlier. It's the one who runs across the, gla- the grass and breaks into the dining room window and enters in as a thief and a robber. In other words, it's a doctrine, it's a preacher, it's a, it's a theology that does not appeal to the conscience, that does not make its appeal to your sense of right and wrong, life and death. That's what God's Word appeals to us on. That's how it comes to us, and that's what it entices us to do. Now, as I said, this is a very practical uh, verse for us to test our doctrines, but also to test our hearts. You know, many times we refuse teaching, not because it's false, but because we're false. Many times we refuse applications or we refuse doctrines we read in the Scripture or perhaps advice from our friends, admonitions from our spouses. We refuse these things because they appeal to the conscience, because they're convicting to us, and we would rather have our flesh tickled. We would rather have our ears tickled. Because I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, it's hard for your conscience to be exposed. It's not fun. Our consciences, because of the fall, are like a gaping wound that we've put a Band-Aid on and that Band-Aid has scabbed over and we put another Band-Aid on it that scabs over it and we put another Band-Aid and another Band-Aid and another Band-Aid. And for however long that wound stays there, it gets that much more pussy and scabbed and putrid. You know what has to happen to clean that thing out? You have to rip the scab off. You have to take all that junk off, clean it out, and apply the salve of the gospel. That's not fun. But it's necessary for our salvation. So Christ says that the sheep of his own sheep do not listen to the voice of a stranger. They don't know the voice of a stranger. Ultimately, when Christ's sheep are convicted of their sins, they come to repentance. They, they end up following the voice of Christ ultimately because the voice of Christ is what saved them at the end. As I said, this is very practical. This is also very important as you are assessing things that you come across in your lives, talking with Christian friends, reading supposed Christian material. If the the force of the doctrines that you're reading doesn't land on your conscience, it's not going to be helpful to you. It may be true. It, it may be worthwhile in some other sense. But if it's not landing on your conscience and leading you by the voice of Christ, then it's not coming from Christ. It is, as John says in his letter, the spirit of Antichrist. Well, finally, Christ comes to the end of this passage and he says, Jesus used this illustration 
but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Ultimately, it's the elect who will follow the voice of Christ. Those whom God has chosen are the ones that will repent and follow the voice of the shepherd. Those that are not elect will not understand, and those who are elect and not at the right time will not understand. Notice that John chapter 10 doesn't stop with verse 6. If we were hyper-Calvinists, if we believe that God has elected all those from all eternity, and they're going to come whenever they're going to come, and it doesn't matter what we do, John chapter 10 would stop at verse 6. But notice it keeps going. Christ is going to keep teaching them even though they don't understand it at first. This is an example to us in teaching our children, teaching uh, our friends and family, in ministering to those around us. You don't know who the elect are. Christ knows who they are, and they will respond to the voice of Christ, but they respond at the appropriate time, and only Christ knows that time. And so it's not our job to figure out who the sheep are. It's our job to teach the truth following the example of Christ, and through his power, he will make his word effectual. He will call those whom he has elected in due season. This reminds us of one final thing that we were reminded of in the prayer meeting. Isaiah chapter 62. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 62. We often might think the doctrine of the effectual call means, well, God does all the work. That means we don't have anything to do. It's actually the opposite. Isaiah 62 verse 6. The prophet writes and he says, I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent. Verse 7, and give him no rest till he establishes and till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. God has already promised to establish Jerusalem, to draw in the sheep of Christ through the voice of Christ. He's already made that promise. And he's already said his power will be at work in accomplishing this. Therefore, you be at work. Therefore, you publish the gospel. Therefore, you pray and give him no rest until all the sheep are gathered in. Because I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters, until all the sheep are gathered in, Christ is not coming back. Christ will only come back when all of his enemies have been made his footstool. I like what John Girardot said on this note. In one of his sermons, he said that if the church of Christ only understood the grace and the power that was available to her, her unbelief and her failure to prosecute the work of the Lord would cease to halt and retard the chariot of the Redeemer. Christ has not returned yet because his work is not accomplished. And one of the reasons his work is not accomplished is because we don't pray as we ought. We don't share the gospel as we ought. We don't trust as we ought. So be about it, because Christ is with you, calling his sheep. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the call of Christ and the voice of our great shepherd. We pray that you would 
cause us to hear more of his voice and that we would be humbled under the preaching of his gospel. We pray that you would convert and convict us and build us up unto salvation through the voice of our great shepherd. We ask that you would bring all the elect into your church whom you have ordained unto eternal life. We ask you to send forth a great revival in our midst. We ask this all for Jesus' sake. Amen.